Is that that yalla? got to hit that toolbar or the tool thing over here on the right. Yeah, see it there. Or maybe turn it off and back on. Yeah, I mean that blue blue bar. Yeah. have to do that. Don't look like it's coming up. Daggone it. Let me know if that thing ever comes up, Morgan. Okie dokie. Well, King of Kings, part six. Did it go, Morgan? This will end our little series on this. I want to go to, go back and read you these same verses. Revelation chapter one, starting at verse four. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him who, unto him that loved us or loves us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. We've been talking about this for a long time. Um, he, he's, this is the greeting that we get that's, that's coming from him, the greeting to us in this letter. And he now lives and he now loves us but it takes our minds a long time to get a hold of that like I said last week our spirit knows it but our minds has been brainwashed for a long long time that God is really not like that does he really love us and we say that and people say well God loves you does he really love you does he really like you and it's it's hard for people to to, uh, to to see that and to get a hold of it. I want to, you know, we're. I guess always in times like this, um, 
people look around and, and you know, we were talking earlier about uh, the wars and all the, uh, this stuff that's going on. And, and with every generation, with every generation, um, they, they think it's the end of time. Every generation has thought this all the way since Jesus came in the end of the world to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Everybody thinks it's the end. And, you'll, and, and then I've heard people say, well, Israel is God's timepiece. Is that how they say it? Israel is God's timepiece. Uh, and I'm, I hope today you'll see uh, what has taken place what your current status is, and what has been fulfilled. Um, now, Jesus said this in Matthew 16, verse 4. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. There shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of Jonas, the sign of the prophet Jonas. I said it wrong. sign of the prophet Jonas. Now, people are always looking, you know, for everything that goes on, wars in Ukraine or whatever, and they're saying, well, the Bible's been fulfilled. But he said, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but there'll be no sign given except the prophet of the prophet Jonas. Now, what was that sign? Jonah was swallowed by a whale. That's pretty weird. And, and Jesus goes on to say, just as Jonah was swallowed up that he would go into the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. In, in Matthew 12, let me, let me give you some of this. Matthew 12, verse 39. I think that's right. Yeah, it says it again. Uh an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. There will be no sign given but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the earth. What's the sign that's given? Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. He said, that's it. End of the road here. Because as I told you, I mean, he told them, guys, the, the, the Bible speaks of me. You won't come to me. The scriptures testify of me. And, he, and they're still looking for signs. And he says, look, you know, when you've arrived at the place, I mean, there are times when you're looking for the hospital, you look for the blue sign. But, but once you arrive at the hospital, you don't look for the blue sign no more because you're there. And he says, the men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. You ever wonder what these things mean? The riddles. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation. For she came from the othermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Let me just touch on this, just a, a side note here. Uh, you guys know the story of the Queen of Sheba. She came up from the south here to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And the men of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah and sackcloth and ashes and God spared the city. And, and each time he says one greater, 
than Jonah is here. Uh, one greater than Solomon is here. And he's talking about judgment here. And, and keep in mind, we, we always, we, we get this mindset that judgment is, is vindictive and, and punishment and pain. But judgment is uh, to make things right. Uh, say it that way. But what he's talking about here, and, and I, he's talking about the sacrifice that he's going to make. Jesus is going to make. And what sacrifice is he going to make? The perfect sacrifice. He's going to lay himself down. And on top of that, he's innocent. And he says that sacrifice, if you can get a hold of this, uh, I don't want to spend a long, a long time here, but if you can get a hold of this, this sacrifice is so perfect that for because really when you make a sacrifice, if it's done right, it affects things in the future. And this sacrifice will be so perfect that men of the future, you and me and generation after generation, will look back at it and say it was so perfect. And, and yes, he was innocent. Okay, because we look back, I mean, because they thought they had some fault in him. They said, you know, they esteemed him smitten and stricken of God. They thought he was cursed. He claimed to be equal with God. So they're looking for some fault, some sin. Everywhere they went, they tried to get him for something. A woman caught in adultery we talked about last week. Everything, you know, the law says this. What do you say? And we're going to go back and we look and we, we're going to rise up in judgment and look and see it was perfect. It was done completely. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, what does it mean to us? I had a, a guy send me a text message the other day and a picture of all these Bible verses and says, you see, God still punishes us for sin. He's still in the punishing business. We'll, we'll come back. Um, now, here he is talking to these Jews. Now, I want you to get a hold of this. I'll just finish up this little part. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. <coughs> then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then, he go, then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. Now he's talking to the Jews here. The Jews that, that here in a little while are going to crucify the Lord of glory. Now, they were doing the thing that was given to them, the law, the, the, all of those things. They wasn't keeping it, but, but now once, once that's done away with, they're going to come back to the house. Jesus tells them later on that their house will be left to them desolate. Desolate. Now... This is the one that John is talking about in the book of Revelation. This one who, who is, was, and is to come. Right, let, me, let me go back over and I want you to get a hold of this. I, I, I he's, he's, and from Jesus who is the faithful witness, first begotten of the dead, I told you that's the resurrection. 
the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us or released us or loosed us from our sins. How? In his own blood. Now I want you to, I want you to get a hold of this because we, we all struggle with this. Never uh, think of forgiveness without thinking of uh, to set free or to loose. If you had a, a bird in a cage and you wanted to forgive the bird, you would let the bird out of the cage. He's loosed. He's free to go. Whatever. He's, he's free. So, back, back here in Matthew. Let me get back over there. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 18, you guys have probably heard this verse a lot. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now what in the world is he talking about? I mean, what, what's this subject of binding and loosening here? Because I, I know what's been taught to us. Uh, demons and devils and sickness and all of that other stuff. But you remember, we always have to stay in context. And this whole chapter here is about forgiveness. This whole chapter, Matthew 18, is about forgiveness. I mean, he, I mean, he starts off, except you be converted and become as a little child, you can nowise enter into the kingdom. Uh he talks about whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me it better for him than a millstone hang around his neck and cast in and drown in the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses for it must needs be that offenses come but woe unto him by whom they cometh. He goes on to talk if the hand offends you, cut it off. If the eye offends, pluck it out. The Son of Man, in verse 11, come to seek and say that which was lost. And he, he tells the story about the sheep here, you know, real quickly. The man has a hundred sheep. One goes astray and he goes and gets it. Even so is it not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish? Moreover, if thy brother trespass against thee. See, this whole thing is about forgiveness. And, and in this same thing, he says, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of thy Father which is in heaven. Now remember, what's the subject here? The subject is forgiveness. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, in my authority, there I am in the midst. What's the subject here? The subject, again, is forgiveness. And I, I hope you can see the responsibility of this as we get into this. And then Jesus, he, he uh, Peter asks him the question. I mean, Jesus is talking to Peter, asking, Lord, what if my brother sins against him? How many times do I forgive? Seven times seven. And Jesus said to him, seven times uh, until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So the whole subject here is forgiveness. So loosening and binding and all of that stuff is it's about forgiveness. So... If I don't forgive you, I bind you in the condition of the sin that I won't forgive you of, that you've done to me. I bind you in it. I lock you up in it. If I forgive you of the sin that you've trespassed against me, then I have released you from it. I've, 
think of it as debt. Sin is debt. So I've loosed you from the debt that, that you owed me. Now God has forgiven us of the debt that you and I owed. Now a lot of people say, well, you know, we, we'll spend the rest of our life paying him back. No, you won't. How can you pay back something you've been released of? It's really foolishness to even think. But you, I mean, John just told us over there, we've been washed. We, that word there means released. It means you've been loosed from it. I mean, anybody that's got a, a house payment and just say all of a sudden they come and said, okay, you, you know what? You, you're released from your debts. You don't have to pay it anymore. Wouldn't you be stupid to keep going to the bank and making payments? I mean, you can bring that money to me. I'll take it. Now, if, I mean, we've, we've been forgiven. So we no longer, you and I no longer owe a debt to God. Now, a lot of people can't get a hold of this. And if you've sinned against me and I won't forgive you, I've, I've bound you to repay me. Every time I see him, I'm thinking he owes me. He owes me. So it's, it's, it's the debt system. And I don't know if you know this or not, but, you know, I, this is kind of a side note. Our whole monetary system uh, in, in the United States, as a matter of fact, just about in the world, is set up on a central bank, which is a debt system. You know, we used to be on the gold standard, but we're not on the gold standard anymore. So the whole thing is to keep you in debt. That, that's why Thomas Jefferson and those people didn't want the central banks because it's a debt system. And the whole world runs on a central bank, which is a debt system. So you're always in debt. And religion just got a hold of it. And they bring it right over into the church. And they always keep you in debt. That's why people do what they do every Sunday, trying to, to get out of debt or get some relief from, from the payment they feel like they owe God because they had a rough week. God's economy is, is a blood economy. I want you to get a hold of that. It's a blood economy. And guess what? His blood has already been poured out. So if I don't forgive you, I've bound you in your position. If I lose you, I'm saying you don't owe me anything. And of course, you know, that's what we're all about here. Forgive even as, forgive even as, what is that equal to? As you've been forgiven. And, and let me ask you this. How much have you been forgiven? So if you've been forgiven all, then you are required then to forgive all. Even, I, I, and you know what? We don't like it. But you know what? Jesus knew that we wouldn't like it. So he gives us a parable right here that talks about it. Because I can just see Peter saying 70 times 7. That's too much. You know? Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto him in Matthew 18, 23, likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants. He's going to take account of his servants. And when, when he had begun to reckon, I see, I love that, he began to reckon, that's to take account. Paul told us to reckon ye also yourselves to be what? Dead indeed unto sin. But also in that reckoning, Take an account, reckon yourself alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Okay, 
So this king here, this, the kingdom of heaven is likened to this king who takes account of his servants. And when he began to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. You might as well say in that Bible days, and if you got paid back then, they got paid a penny a day. And this is 10,000 pounds of gold the guy owed. So uh, if he lived a million lifetimes and gave all of his money, he can, he can never repay it. That's, that's what he's telling you. It can't be repaid. So I wonder what this mean old king, but the kingdom of heaven is likened to this king. What's he going to do with this servant? But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. Now see, his whole family is about to be wiped out here. And, and, and you know, when the guy realizes his debt, oh my gosh, I'll just have patience, I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back. But then the Lord of that servant, this king here, was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Now, how much of the debt did he forgive him? According to the scriptures, the 10,000 talents, which was everything. So this servant who's about to lose everything, he's already a servant. He's already bound by this debt. What happens to the servant now? He's free. Why is he free? Because the king had compassion. And now, I want you to get this. He's telling the story. Compassion here doesn't mean he swept it under the rug. Because where did the 10,000 debt go? Somebody had to eat it. I want you to get that. Somebody had to make payment here. Now, who did make the payment? The king did. The king is out 10,000 talents. It cost him 10,000 talents, so to speak, to forgive that guy. He didn't sweep it under the rug. Somebody has to pay. Oh, you, you got that. Somebody has to pay. But here he is. He's released of that same debt. Now, the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him 100 penny, pence, 100 pennies, dollar. This guy was in debt $100 trillion and a guy owes him a buck and he goes to the guy that owes him a buck and he took him by the throat and says, pay that thou owest. Now, what a, what a way to put this parable. It takes him by the throat. But you know what? We've all been guilty. You know why we've all been guilty? Because we don't forgive. And in this story here, this parable, he's saying it's the same as you taking a guy who's, who's barely done anything to you, a dollar, the guy owes you a buck and you take him by the throat. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. And he would not and he went and cast him into prison until he should pay the debt. We say, what a weirdo. Of course, the king finds out, I'm going to get to the end of this story, and his Lord was wroth with him and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one of his brother their trespasses. Now, what, what state is this guy in, this guy who owed 10,000 talents? He's in a state of forgiveness. 
Now, even in that state of forgiveness, he's turned over to the tormentors because he won't forgive. Now, it's puzzling. It's puzzling. Kind of put that on the shelf. God, through Jesus Christ, has forgiven us, loosed us from the dead, not covered over. That's what they did in the Day of Atonement. The blood covered it over. People say, get your sins under the blood. Everybody who tells you to get your sins under the blood is in the Old Covenant because that's what they did in the Old Covenant. Nowhere does it say, get your sins under the blood. It says you've been loosed. You're washed from them. You're set free. There's nothing to get under the blood. The blood has washed them away. They're gone as far as the east is from the west. Right? In the Old Covenant, Oh yeah, you better, you better get them under the blood of that lamb and that goat. But not in the new covenant. They're already done. I'm going to tell you what. Your sins were washed white as snow before y'all was even born. He has loosed us. He's made us free at the cost of his own blood. And, and what does that mean? Justice here has been satisfied. Now remember we're talking about judgment, justment, all of this. Now, our, our bondage, all of our bondage, uh, the bondage we were in, we were, bond, we were slaves of sin. Now, what does that mean, we were slaves of sin? That doesn't mean we was uh, all a bunch of drug addicts and, you know, what the world calls sin, and, and we just couldn't stop sinning. It means we're bound to our selfishness. We can't think outside of self first. That's what it means. And that's in John 8, 34. He says, whosoever commit a sin is the slave. You know what slave means? That means you're owned by somebody. I mean, we were singing a song, uh, he's a chain breaker. Uh, uh, and that means if you got chained, somebody owns you. Right? You're bound. And what owns you? Sin. Sin, and, and, and people can't help it. They're selfish. They're slave to it. They're in darkness, even gross darkness that covers the face of the earth. Bound to it. You know, the blind man, he's bound to his darkness. He cannot see. And because of that, because of sin, I want you to understand this. In, a, in, a, in the court of heaven, Satan had a legal right to you. You guys ever watched Narnia? And, and, you know, you never watched Narnia? You need to go check it out. Uh, you know, that, that boy sinned, and, he, and here comes, uh, you know, the Satan, and she has a legal claim to him because of what he did. And, and you know, he was right. And so, so a debt must be paid. You know, I mean, it, it's like you buy a car. Uh, you you got to make that payment or the bank can come and take it back. And you know what? Nothing you can do about it. They got a legal right. So here, Satan has got a legal right to the human race because of sin. And we're bound to it. There's no way out. And because of that, we had no access to God. I want you to think about that. We had no access. We're in a prison house of sin. Now, God doesn't wink at sin. I want you to get this. He doesn't wink at sin, wink, wink, 
Uh, justice can't do that. He is, he is just. Justice cannot wink at this. This is serious. And God is justice. And let me say, let me ask you the question. Ask somebody this the other day. Does God keep the Ten Commandments? Has anybody ever asked you that question? Does God keep the Ten Commandments? I don't know. On all the churches, they got it up. You must keep the Ten Commandments. So it would be a relative question to ask. Does God keep the Ten Commandments? Well, let me tell you something. If God kept the Ten Commandments, that would be God was subject to the Ten Commandments and it would make the Ten Commandments law. Jesus didn't come to keep the Ten Commandments. What did he say? He came to fulfill the law, not to keep the law. I want you to understand, God does not have any commandments to keep. If he kept them, he'd be ruled by them, but he's not. He doesn't have any commandments to keep. He is the law. Can you see the difference? He is the law. When he gave the law to Moses, he was telling them, this is who I am. And the reason it comes to us so negative is because it shows us we are not. This is the plumb line, and the plumb line came in the person of Jesus Christ, and he, because he came and says, I am the truth. And that's why the truth had to be crucified, because he came in a world of lies and darkness, and we couldn't stand it, so we had to put him out of our sight, because men love the darkness rather than the light. He's the absolute truth. He doesn't have the rules. He is the rules. He is justice then. He doesn't have justice, he's it. It's like God doesn't have love, he is love. And if that's the case, if God forgave our sins without paying the penalty, the penalty that justice demands, he would cease to exist because he cannot, because he's just. And just, justice requires the debt to be paid in full. And that's why you can never think of forgiveness or the, the loosing from sin without somebody paying the penalty. Somebody has got to pay. And let me tell you something, guys, that's born into all of us. It's born into us. It's why a lot of people are angry with God and why a lot of people look out in the world and, and they're angry and they say, how can that be? And that's why we need a hell so bad because, man, somebody's got to pay. I can't, I can't fathom the fact that they can do that without paying. We get angry at it. We get angry at the world. And I do myself, you know. I just, you know, I seen on the news the other day, y'all may have seen this, where that uh, 26-year-old, I think it was 18 at the time, and he molested that 10-year-old girl in the Denny's restaurant. Did you see that? And now the uh, now he, he's identifying as a girl. So they're locking him up in juvenile detention for girls. He's 26 years old and they're giving him six months. Locked in a cage with the people he molested. It makes me angry. It makes me angry. It makes me angry at the judge. And then the boy gets on the phone, talks to his dad and brags about it. So it, it cause, and why is that? Because we know that's not right, and we demand the world is calling out for justice. 
The world is calling out for righteousness. Where is it then? And you know what? It's not wrong uh, to be angry about that. I mean, I read in the scripture, the, the, these souls that were beheaded, they cried out, How long, O oh Lord? How long? How long? But you remember what he said to that one guy over there who wouldn't forgive, man. What, what happened to the guy? He was turned over to the tormentors. Somebody's got to pay. Now, I want you to listen to this here. There, there are many people who demand of themselves. And this guy, I told you, he's always sending me stuff. Um, you you got to pay for sins. You got to pay for sins. He lives on the debit system. He calls it the debit card system, which, you know, debit card means you pay as you go. Well, that, that's, this is a blood economy. I'm not saying there, are, there aren't repercussions for sin. I want you to understand that. They are repercussions for sin. You go out and do stupid stuff and you'll, stupid things will happen to you. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about how could we pay this debt? We, we couldn't. But now listen. There are many people who demand of themselves payment for sin. So what do they do? They punish themselves. They hate themselves. They say, I'm no good. I'm a beggar. You know, I mean, I see it all the time on people. But I'm not perfect yet. I'm just, you know, all this time. I, I, can't, I can't really be free. You know, I can put freedom off till over here till another day. But I can't really live free here because you know what? It just, I just don't feel like the debt was adequately paid. And I feel like I need to hold myself accountable and punish myself. They know that they're guilty. And listen, I'm not saying we don't know we're guilty. Paul knew exactly what he had done to those people. He had letters of authority. And, and you, know what he's, you know what Paul said? Forgetting those things which are behind. I press on to the, pri- to the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. But these people, they think they have to punish themselves. And I want you to realize this. I want you to realize this. There are some sicknesses people have that that's their way to punish themselves. Why do you think Jesus would come to people and say, do you really want to be made whole? Well, some people would rather live in perpetual punishment. I mean, it's, it's psychosomatic illnesses that are brought on because I know I'm guilty. I know I deserve punishment. I know, I know people will say this. They'll say, well, the flu's going around. I'll probably get it. What are they saying? I mean, I really, I deserve it. Stomach flu's going around, wiping everybody out. I'll probably get it. Why, why would you probably get it? Well, I mean, deep down, I deserve it. I mean, you reckon that's the way Jesus walked around? You reckon Paul and him said, well, I'd like to go to Ephesus, but they got the COVID in Ephesus, and I can't go there, else I'll probably get it. I mean, so people will just let their body get sick and they won't fight back. I'm telling you, when I had it, I said, Lord, we've got it. Now we're going to fight because this ain't right. And no, I don't deserve it. And none of y'all deserved it. Y'all had it, but none of you deserved it. Uh-uh, it came in, but what happened? It didn't get you, did it? I mean, how many of us in there had it? A whole bunch of us had it. Did it get us? Uh-uh, we felt bad a little while, but we overcame. 
We fought. There's a, a verse in James. I want you to listen to this because we're, we're, we're uh, talking about this. James uh, chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with all in the name and the authority of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven. You see what I mean? So he's in this state of always feeling guilty. So the elders are going to have to come there and reassure him again that he's not. Everything has been paid for. Does that, does that make sense? I wish we could stay a long time on that. Some people just remain sick to prove they're no good. Uh, have you ever known anybody? They say, well, he's accident prone. They get in their head that they feel no good and they deserve all the accidents. I always think of tool time, Tim Taylor, you know, that's kind of a comical win. But you ever look back at the stupid stuff you did and think, man, I... I I could just kick myself for that. I mean, you're saying I should, be, I should be punished and I'm ready to punish myself. I'm my own worst enemy. I'm no good. I'm, I'm not perfect yet. And we know there's something in us. We're, why, what is this thing in us that cries for righteousness and justice? It's God who is justice and righteousness. He's in us. And we're made in His image and after a likeness. So we know these things aren't supposed to be. And we know somebody has to pay. We know this has to be uh, punished. It can't just be forgiven. It can't be swept under the rug. And, and everybody here, uh, I've told you, you've been forgiven. But people, people don't know they've been forgiven. Why? It's no good to tell people they've been forgiven. It's got to be paid for. Right? Just to walk up and, and say, well, your, your house is forgiven. You know what I mean? First thing we got to know is who, who finished paying it off. So to tell people they're just forgiven without telling them that it's been paid for, that's why people don't believe it. I mean, they go to church every week and say, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Well, I, really, how am I forgiven? So why do we find it difficult to forgive others? Same, same principle here. We, we look and we'll say, they, they can't get away with that. And the anger starts and somebody's got to pay for this. And while I hold you in unforgiveness, I'm saying you must pay. You will pay. The gospel, the good news says somebody has paid. I'm telling you, the, the gospel is offensive. It's offensive. It's a stone of stumbling. It's a rock of offense to come and say, you know what? Somebody has paid. Somebody's paid for that Weird old boy who molested that girl. Now I don't like that. Justice has been satisfied. The scripture says in Romans, he was buried for our offenses. Why was Jesus hung on the cross, died? Why? 
for our offenses. Our meaning all of our offenses. That's why he died. Paying for our debt. That's why he died. But then it didn't leave him in the tomb, did it? He rose. Why did he rise? Because the justice of God had been satisfied. He rose for our justification. You're free. You're loosed. You're washed. That's why I can forgive. When, uh, when I'm sinned against, I must. I mean, I feel somebody's got to pay. I got to go back to the cross and I realize somebody already has. What did Stephen pray? They're stoning Stephen. They're bludgeoning Stephen to death. And Paul is standing there holding their coats. And what did Stephen say? Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Well, they meant it for evil. They mean to kill him and they're going to. So whose charge is this sin of murder going to be laid on? It was laid on Jesus. Laid on Jesus. So he could, he could justifyly forgive the people bludgeoning him, murdering him, because Jesus has already paid. Do you remember the... Uh, I'll give you one verse here. Uh, the Good Samaritan. You remember the guy? The Samaritan. They don't like the Samaritan. And, or it was uh, a certain man went from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell in amongst thieves. A Levite comes by. A priest comes by. Nobody helps him. But the Samaritan comes by and helps him. And then he says this. Uh, well, let me start in verse 34. When he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Every time I hear oil and wine, what do I think of? I'm thinking of Melchizedek. And set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and said in him, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I'll repay. John, he says here in the book of Revelation that he, this one, Jesus, he loves me and has released me, released us from our sin, from our debt. He's saying, don't just look at a, at a picture here. and uh, It's not just a glance. He says, he, 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 I mean, people will look and they'll say, well, he died for me. I want you to understand your sin, my sin, all of it was placed on him, in him. He who knew no sin was made to be it. And it was justly paid for when he died. He said, it is finished. You know what that means? That means the debt of sin is forever paid. And because it was forever paid, he rose again. There can be no resurrection. There can be no resurrection of the dead. And who is he? He's the first begotten of the dead. There can be no resurrection unless sin has been justly paid for. I mean, that's what it means. Some people say, oh, it means I'll live again. I mean, we need to step back. You need to reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto the debt of sin. 
and alive unto God. There can be no resurrection unless sin has forever been dealt with. So, I, And everybody says, well, Jesus got up. It won't be long. Everybody will be celebrating Easter, Resurrection Day. But, but at the same time, they have no idea what it means. They're still bound up in their sin they've been released from for 2,000 years. I mean, when I consider that, when I, when I understand that I'm free from demanding of myself punishment. We, we're free. We're, we're declared so by God himself who is justice. God has declared you free. I'm just repeating what he's already done. I mean, I don't, uh, so you see whatever you loose on earth or loose in heaven, loose and bind all that. You never, listen, you never have to hang your head before God. I want to run to all the people who fall out in the floor and say, what are you doing? You, I mean, you're telling me Jesus didn't die and rise again because you never have to hang your head before God. None of you. And it ain't got nothing to do with your merits because none of you earned it. Somebody did this for you a long time ago. You are not, nobody here is a beggar. Uh-uh. The reason we can come boldly to the throne of grace is because of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done. I don't care what kind of mess you've done and caused and made. You don't have to hang your head before God. But we, they come out and say, oh, well, you got to be humble. Don't give me that junk. Humble is to know who you really are and who are you. You're a son of the living God. You're a son of the living God that blew it and made a huge mistake. You better run up in daddy's lap and talk to him. That's what you better do. That's what you better do. You never have to beg. Kings don't beg, do they? Some of our leaders may beg and whimper around, but, but I don't want a leader that begs and whimpers around. I want somebody that stands there with dignity and in confidence. Well, that's who you are in Christ Jesus. Because somebody's paid. See, you don't know that unless somebody's paid. You're always a debtor. I mean, you were at one time a wretched sinner. I want you to know that. You were. We all were. But somebody's paid. Satan has no more legal claim on you. I mean, he, I mean coming into the court of law, he had a legal claim on you. He don't know more. He has to, Satan now has to stand before justice himself. And justice says you can't touch him. Don't belong to you anymore. I mean, you, you understand that. Don't belong to him anymore. Every prison house that sin had us bound in, you, the chains are loosed. The doors are open. I mean, John didn't even know it. He said, behold, a door in heaven is open. So, I mean, it's open. When, when Jesus rose from the dead, having shed his own blood, being a priest after the order of Melchizedek, he's the prophet Moses was talking about, the faithful witness who proclaims the truth, and the truth is in him who is the faithful witness. You're free. He says, you've been washed, you've been loosed. From your sins in his own blood. 
Now, what kind of priest is Jesus? Is he? A, I mean, we've been talking about this for several weeks. Is he a priest after the order of Levi and Aaron? No, he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And the funny thing about this priest after the order of Melchizedek is he don't have an offering in his hand. Uh, Levi and Aaron always had an offering in their hand, a lamb and a goat and bullocks and everything else. This priest has nothing in his hand but bread and wine. Why is that? He don't need an offering. He was the offering himself. It's all been paid for once and for all. You don't need another altar. It's over. An altar is to put the bloody sacrifice on. Now he says the altar is your heart. It's, it's your lips. And what comes out of that is praise. He's the king. Listen, is Jesus the king? I mean this whole title of this message is king of kings. Is he the king? Everybody will say he's king. King of what? He's king of kings. He's king of the kingdom that is founded on righteousness and justice. That is, everyone in the kingdom has been loosed from their sins. That's, that's why we proclaim the gospel. Because everybody else that is over, everybody's been forgiven, but they don't know it yet. And until they receive it, it has no effect on them. They're, they're bound in their darkness and in their, in, in their ignorance. So the gospel goes too, just like it came to you. And, and you hear the voice that says, come unto me. Not come into the church. Not come into my denomination. Not come into my things. You hear a voice inside that says, come unto me. Learn of me. And you realize that, that where he is, he is in you. Now there's, there's another word we can use uh, for this. It's called redeemer. It's all through the Old Testament. Wasn't there a song, I am redeemed? Yeah, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. That was a good song, wasn't it? That's in the Hebrew culture. Now the word is goel, G-O-E-L, goel. And basically what it means is next of kin. You're next of kin. In Hebrew culture, now this is why it's so hard. In Hebrew culture, you're next of kin, they were deeply committed. You didn't even have to like them, but you're responsible for them. He gets in debt, you got to bail him out. You have to. You got to pay. He's your next of kin, you have to. You know, and even that worst one in there, I mean, you, you, uh, you got an older brother. Say, I got an older brother and he dies. And he's got a wife. Well, guess what? I may not even like her. I got to marry her. Hey, that's written in the scriptures. Why is that? Because he wants you to get the picture here of the Redeemer. It had nothing to do with you earning it or him liking you. He did it all for his namesake. So he gives us these pictures. Because back in the Old Testament day, there wasn't no Social Security. There, there wasn't no uh, uh, food banks and all this other stuff. And to be a woman in those days, you were, you were on your own. You, I mean, it was uh, certainty of death, so the brother had to, had to marry her. You're the Goel. The Goel would, would come and I'll loose you from your bondage. I'll loose you from your fears. I'll loose you from your debt. And if, and if you did not do that, they could bring you out. And this, we, we can see this in, in 
John makes reference to us of whose shoes I'm not worthy to lose, but in the book of Ruth, they could bring you down to the gate. That's where everybody met. That's where the judgment was done. If you would not redeem your next of kin, they could bring you down there in front of the public and you would take your shoe off because you're loose from it and they spit in your face because there was no worse shame than you not taking care of your kinfolk. So you could be spit in your face. Now, now, I mean, you know, they spit in the face of Jesus because they didn't want him as their next of kin. It, I, mean, I mean, that's what all, because these were Hebrews doing this. And we don't want him as our king. I mean, go read Psalm 2. We don't want him as our goel. We don't want him as anything. Get this guy. We, break the chains. We want to come out from under him. So they spit on him. That's what they were saying. But it was to their shame. It was to their shame. I mean, you, you read all about Ruth. I mean, that's what the whole book of Ruth is. What happened in the book of Ruth? Naomi lost her husband. Ruth and, and uh, Oprah, I call her Oprah, she lost her husband. And, and they come back and, and, you know, Naomi changed her, main, uh, her name. I'm Mara. I'm Mara. I'm, I'm, I'm sorrowful, you know, just now she's a beggar. And, and, but here is Ruth. And Ruth catches the eye of Boaz. Now, who's Boaz? I mean, Boaz is the Goel. He's the next of kin. Naomi tells her to go up there where he's sleeping and lay at his feet. And he wakes up and, and she says, cover me. And he covers her. And oh, it's a story. He, and not only that, Boaz was in love with her. It's a beautiful story. He was the next of kin. Hosea is the same thing. You read Hosea. Hosea had a, he had a wife, Gomer. She became a prostitute. She sells herself. Hosea went after her and redeemed her. I mean, sometimes you read these stories in the Bible and you think, why would you put that in there? That you're going to tell me about a prophet of God's wife is a, a prostitute and he's got to go down and buy her back. She's on the, on, the, on the podium be sold off and he goes and buys her back. God, why did you put that story in there? I mean, leave that one out. It's terrible. God says he'll be my redeemer. He's your redeemer. He is your goal. What, what he's saying all through the Old Testament is, he says, one day I'm going to come in and take on your humanity. The word's going to put on flesh and dwell among you. I'm going to become your very brother. And I'm going to come and loose you and release you from all the bondage, all the slavery, all the debt you ever had. He's the goal. John is saying in the book of Revelation, Behold, He's here. And He loves me. He's not only my Redeemer because He has to, He loves me. Do you get a hold of that? That's what Ruth is saying. He loves me. Boaz loves me. That's why Gomer, she comes to the conclusion, Hosea wasn't doing this because he has to, because God told him, He loves me. I mean, that, I mean, you know, I mean, that's what makes a marriage, isn't it? He loves me. If you don't have that, and it's sort of an arranged thing, it's not much fun. But, but if he loves me, let the adventure begin. 
And, and now because of that, because I'm loose, you know there's a dignity that comes with that. You know, you know what I mean by dignity? Beggar, beggars aren't very dignified, are they? You ever seen a dignified beggar? They usually wrote some scratch on a piece of cardboard. We'll work for food in their line. There's dignity here. There's honor here. That's who you are. So stop acting as if you're not. Bible tells us to do what? Renew your minds because everything else has been taken care of. The problem is we don't get it right here. That's the problem. And, and religion has come in and this, this, is, this is a terrible thing. When I'm talking religion, all the religions has come in and you know they even got words for them, gurus and yodas and, and all of the, this hierarchy. And even, even in the Catholic, it's like, you know what? Hey, guys, I mean, I'm the, I'm the fantastic preacher here. You don't talk to God. You tell me, and I go talk to him. You know, and, and of course, the Catholics even set up a little box, and you go in there, and you talk to Father, and then he'll go talk to God, and then he'll get back to you. People do that in, in the church. Of people will come and say, I'll pray for me. And, and it's not that we don't pray for one another, but the whole context is, is, why don't you pray for me, Jeff? You're a lot closer to God than me. There's no hierarchy here. There's no hierarchy. Now, Jesus has risen from the dead. And to every, I mean, he says this, Jesus is, now that he's risen from the dead, to everyone that will receive him, to everyone that will believe on him, to them he gives the right, the power, the authority to call themselves what? Beggars of God. Wimpy people of God. Does people humble of God? No. Sons of God. To as many as believed on him, to them he gave the authority, the right be called the sons of God. I mean, that's uh, no hierarchy. All priests, all equal. All can stand before God. All have access to God. All have equal access to God. All equal. Now, we, share, we got different gifts among us. We do. I mean, I'm a much better guitar player than Jeff. You know what I mean? We, we have different gifts and we come and share our gifts one with another. It's what brings us together. That's what we do. We come out and share. But we all share His life. One life. Now, if we would just all go act like what I'm saying is true, and it is true. And now, and now, if that's the case, you've been made something. Let me, get, let me get back over here. The, these redeemed who's been loosed from their sins. First, first you, were, you were loved and then you were loosed and then you were made kings and priests unto his father. And he's the king of kings and we're kings and priests under him. He's got a kingdom that's made up of kings and priests. A kingdom made up. Of, so where's the second class citizens? Where's the, I mean, we got this in the, we, I mean, in, in, even in America, we have the lower class and the middle class and the upper class. Well, there's only one class in the kingdom of God. Sons. 
All kings, all priests. That's it. And we're all, now here's where I want to I get you to. We're all the Israelite. Now what do I mean by that? Uh, go with me to Exodus 19. Because remember I told you earlier, they said Israel is God's timepiece. And then what we were looking at and and, uh, you know, Israel, Israel of old, they, they missed it. Jesus, he visited and they missed it. So we, we must know who Israel is because all the promises in the Bible are made to Israel. I told you. They weren't made to you. They was made to Israel. If you're not Israel, this, this Bible ain't for you because, I mean, we went through that last week. So we need to know who this is. So in Exodus 19... Uh, Israel had, uh, in Exodus 19, Israel has been redeemed. Or what I mean, they've been loosed from the, the bondage of sin in Egypt. Now, how were they loosed? How did they come out of Egypt? By the blood of the Lamb. Right? It wasn't because they were good people or whatever. Else. They had to come out by the, putting the blood on the door and eating the Lamb. Taking part in the Lamb. They had to eat the whole Lamb. Not sodden with water either. They had to eat the whole Lamb. So they came out, so they're redeemed. And Moses has brought them pretty quickly to Mount Sinai where they are now going to receive their charter as a nation. You know, the, the charter as a nation. This is, this is what's going to make you a nation unto God. You know, people didn't believe that a nation could be born in a day. But, but we'll see in Exodus 19, we're going to read the charter. Exodus 19.4, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, he says, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for the, all the earth is mine. This is God telling them, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be a peculiar treasure unto me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. This is the charter. Now he says, I brought you out, but there's a big word right there that says, now if you will obey my voice, then you'll be my peculiar and my kingdom of priests and all that. Well, I got to ask you, I mean, here they are at Mount Sinai. How long did they obey the voice of the Lord? It wasn't very long. They done made them a calf. Broke all the laws. Moses didn't even get down with the laws and the laws are all broken. They is fighting amongst each other. I mean, they made a mess. So what happens here? They didn't really become a nation. Because the only way they could become a nation is they had to obey His voice and keep the covenant. Now they didn't obey His voice and they didn't keep the covenant. So, so it's, it's there, and it's in future tense. It's on hold. 
Do, do you get what I'm saying? It, it's on hold. They're cut off, but God in His mercy, He stayed with them. He's, he's, he's waiting on the one, and all the way down through, they go into Babylonian captivity. They never did fulfill Exodus uh, 19, 4, and 5, and 6. They never did. The if got them. So it always remained in the future, future tense. They never did. They never became. Now, now, who have we been talking about here? This Jesus. You remember we, we spent a lesson or two telling you that he was the final son of David. Right? He had, he had the, these legal rights. And you know what? He didn't come to keep the law. He came to fulfill the law. He's the first and the only Israelite to keep the covenant with his father. He did it. He's the only one who has ever come and obeyed the voice of the Father completely. He said, the words that I speak, they don't even mind. They're, they're His words. So here He has come, and He's kept the covenant, and He has obeyed His Father. So what does that make Jesus then? That makes Jesus the first one of the nation of Israel. And the only one who is now the Father's peculiar treasure. And who is the Father's king and priest, who is the Father's holy one. It's Jesus, because he did it. But now what John says, back here in Revelation. Now listen to what John says. John is getting this verse right here, right out of Exodus, who they was looking for the nation looking for who really Israel is. And he says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, first begotten of the dead, prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, loosed us from our sins with his own blood, has made us kings and priests unto God his Father. To him be glory, dominion forever. He's made us a holy nation. John says... You've been united to him who is Israel. Jesus is the only one to ever fulfill the charter. So the, so the nation, the whole nation was comprised of one person. He's it. He's the final Israelite. But this one person who is Israel has done what? He's breathed himself, his very life into each and every one of us. Having released us from our sins having released us from us breaking the covenant, having released us from uh, disobeying the Father, and now we have become the only true Israel there is in Christ Jesus. Exodus 19 has been fulfilled. And John says in, in Exodus it was always future tense, if you will then. And John tells us right here it's Past tense, it's done. He says, and has, that's past tense, made us kings and priests. It's fulfilled. It's fulfilled. You have become what old Israel never became. You've become a kingdom of kings and priests. And you know, I'm, I'm going to quit here, Jeff. And, and to give them some courage of this, what did, did, did Jesus tell them when he's about to go to the cross? He said that where I am, there you'll be also. Where is Jesus? The right hand of the Father. Where does that make you? 
Right hand of the Father. As He is. What? So are we. When? Now in this world. Listen to this. Isaiah 32. Gosh, I love this verse. Behold. Isaiah 32.1, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness. Who's the king that reigns in righteousness? That's Jesus. And princesses shall rule in judgment. Who's that? That's you and me. The ones that rise up in judgment. The one, when he said, one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you know what he says right there? I'll just read it to you. Because Peter got a hold of it too. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, how would we make the bumper sticker today? If Peter was here walking around and Peter would say, well, God's still working on me. Ain't perfect yet. Is that what Peter said? Peter said, you're a royal priesthood and I start acting like it. He said, you are a holy nation. Your peculiar treasure now under God. Now start acting like it. I just want to I want to say this, and I want to bring this to a close. As a priest, you know what priests do? Priests stand on behalf. So in other words, you stand on behalf of God to the world. And at the same time, you stand on behalf of the world to God. That's why the scripture says if we suffer with Him, we suffer with Him. We bear in our own bodies the suffering of the Lord Jesus. Now, a lot of people, you know, that when we've talked about this authority and all of this. and We'll go into this more later. We'll start a new series. But I just I want to end this here. Because I know everybody wants to stomp their foot and talk about authority and and kings and priests. But how do the kings and priests reign, rule and reign with authority in the kingdom of heaven? How do they? Do they stomp their foot and cast out devils and do all these things? When John seen it in Revelation 5, he saw the king on the throne, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And what did he see? As a lamb, as it had been slain. Jesus said, guys... The way up in this kingdom is the way down. Because it's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of righteousness and justice. Kingdom of forgiveness. But the authority in this kingdom is that we lay our lives down one for another. And Jesus said, as I have loved you, even so, Love ye one another. And how did he do that? Gave himself, like we we read at the wedding. What did he do? He loved him and gave himself. That's the authority.
And I got to give you one more. I can do it because Jeff knows these chords. We go back to Psalm 2 where we begin. You remember these people, they didn't want. They didn't want Jesus there. They said, uh, you know, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. Then God says here in this psalm through David, I have set my king on my holy hill. Now remember, he set his king. And who are we? Kings. Priests. He said unto me this day, thou art my son, this day have I begotten of me. And then he says, how, how is this kingdom going to work out? How is it going to function? How, what, what is the business of the, king, of the kings here? He says, ask of me. And I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the other most parts of the earth for thy possession. You know what he's saying? Jesus is the king of kings. And our great high priest. And we're the little kings. And what he says, he says, now it's a kingdom of prayer it's a kingdom of asking so you now have the authority that's what we call in the name of Jesus to go ask ask for what he said ask for the heathen ask for the nations ask and I'll give to you because you're asking in authority this is how the kingdom business goes about so it's a kingdom of prayer do do you get that I hope you get it. You know, he said, he said of Jesus in Isaiah, a child will be born, a son is given. Do you remember what his name, some of the names was? One of the names was wonderful. His name is wonderful. Do you know what that means? If you believed anything that I just said, do you know what that means your name is? Do you ever go, I mean, who goes and looks in the mirror? Now you think this is vain, but you are wonderful. Why are you wonderful? Because of what he did. I want you to think about that. I mean, that's a hard pill to swallow. I mean, that doesn't sound like a uh, uh, doctrine of the church. We got to be humble. I am being humble. I am what he says I am. And he says, you're wonderful. And he loves you. And he gave himself for you. That's who you are. And we need to start acting like it. I'll quit with it.